This evening's reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 19 to 47. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvests and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. I will heap calamities on them and expand my arrows against them. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and deadly plague. I will send against them the fangs of wild beasts, the venom of vipers that glide in the dust. In the street, the sword will make them childless. In their homes, terror will reign. The young men and young women will perish, the infants and those with gray hair. I said I would scatter them and erase their name from human memory. But I dreaded the taunt of the enemy, lest the adversary misunderstand and say, Our hand has triumphed. The Lord has not done all this. They are a nation without sense. There is no discernment in them. If only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. How could one man chase a thousand, or two put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock has sold them, unless the Lord has given them up? For their rock is not like our rock, as even our enemies concede. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the deadly poison of cobras. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants when he, see their, when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, Now where are their gods, the rock they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise to help you. Let them rise. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God beside me. I have put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and solemnly swear, as surely as I live forever, when I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in, just, in judgment, I will take vengeance upon my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh, 
the blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. When Moses had finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. This is God's word. Uh, were you engrossed or were you a bit intimidated by the reading? It's quite a reading, isn't it? That's, um, let's pray that we understand it rightly together. Our great God and Father, thank you for each and every word that you give us in the scriptures. And there are some that we uh, delight to read and celebrate. And there are some that cause us to pause. And Father, as we come to a passage which arrests us, really, it's shocking in some of its language. Would we understand it rightly, understand rightly what it means. But above all, would it lead us to a thankfulness for the work of the Lord Jesus in enduring many of these curses in our place. We pray it in his name. Amen. So let me have my welcome then. My name is Matt, if we've not met, and uh, welcome uh, if you're at home. Now, last week we began looking just a couple of weeks in Deuteronomy 32, and we said it's a song uh, with many words, etc., etc. It's a song about ingratitude. And how bad do you think ingratitude is? I mean, we're coming up to Christmas. No doubt you'll be given something by way of present, and it'll be the last thing that you desire. Uh, and your face may well re- reveal some ingratitude. How bad is it? Well, I guess it depends how much you've been given and who it is. But here's one take on ingratitude. Someone uh, gave me this in the week. Uh, in Gulliver's Travels, bound to be on the telly at some point over Christmas, Jonathan Swift, obviously the writer, gives us his opinion of ingratitude because uh, when Gulliver is in Lilliput, here is one of the laws of the Lilliputians. So he writes, ingratitude is reckoned among them, the Lilliputians, uh, and there is Gulliver with all the uh, smalls. Um, It's reckoned among them a capital crime, for they reason that whoever makes ill return to his benefactors must needs be a common enemy to the rest of mankind, and therefore such a man is not fit to live. Wow. Ingratitude, you see what he's saying? Ingratitude, it's so bad because, I mean, if you don't give anything back to someone who's been very generous to you, well, how nasty are you going to be to Joe Average, who doesn't actually do anything for you? And so in the land of Lilliput, it was a capital crime. I don't know what you make of that, apart from clearly at some point in his life, Jonathan uh, Swift had been very generous to some people and they'd not repaid him and he was pretty miffed about it and he wanted them to know. I think he's having a dig probably at some of his friends along the way. But that bad? Deuteronomy 32 is a song of ingratitude and God's response. 
it's sort of a song with um, five verses and a chorus, sort of. Um, so we said last time, we didn't have it read again tonight, but um, really verses four to five are the chorus. Here's the heart of the song. God, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. That's God. They, humanity, are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they're a warped and crooked generation. He is faithful. People are faithless. That's really the theme of the song. But as we move into the sort of final three verses of the song, as it were, I think what we see tonight is that part of the faithfulness of God is that he rejects the proud, but welcomes the humbled. He rejects the proud, but welcomes the humbled. That's part of his faithfulness. Very quickly then, uh, just by way of context, um, Moses, the great leader of the Old Testament, Moses is about to die, and um, uh, the Lord gives the people a new leader, Joshua, he's not as good, uh, the law, which is wonderful, and a song. And uh, this is a song with a narrative. Not all songs have narratives, of course. Most songs just have a good tune and go round and round and round, and don't really educate you a great deal. Uh, you may like, I don't know. Um, na, 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 na. That might get you on the dance floor. But you don't think, you know what, I've really learned something there. Um, I mean, it's got a point. It can't get you out of my head, I guess, is, is, the, is the point of it. But this is a song with a narrative to it. Not many do in the modern world. Have uh, I was trying to think. Tracy Chapman, Fast Car, has a sort of long narrative, what's going on in her life. But um, I couldn't think of a modern song. Um, you can tell me afterwards that has a great narrative to it. This is a song with a narrative. Uh, in one sense, the story is a big you. So we started off last time, God is faithful and a magnificent and generous creator God. Humanity, mm, faithless. So we started well and it got worse last time. Uh, today, God will reject those who reject him. He'll reject other people, but we'll get there in the end. His faithfulness also means in Jesus Christ, he offers a welcome back. So just by way of encouragement, last week it started well and got bad. This week it starts bad and gets good at the end, all right? Just so you know, uh, that's how this song works. We'll look at it in three, under the three main headings, because there's sort of God's people, then there are those who beat up God's people, and then there's God himself. So we'll look at it like this. Uh, he rejects his people who desert him, 19 to 25. Uh, then he rejects no people, that's the invading army, who are proud, 26 to 35, and he atones for his people who are humbled, which is the last chunk. Don't worry, we'll work through it. First then, here's the faithful God's response to a faithless people. Verses 19 to 25, he rejects his people who desert him. Now, the big idea of the section really, verses 19 uh, to 25, is that the punishment fits the crime. They reject God, he rejects them. So I've tried to put it in a little table. Uh, that's interesting. Um, there we go. Um, here's, uh, here, here it is. Um, so we've had it. Verse 18, God's people Israel, they desert the rock, so he rejects them. Verse 19, they make him jealous and angry, he'll make them jealous and angry. They followed no God, they'll be ruled by no people. That is, some other country will come and invade them and steal all their land. They were foolish. They'll be ruled by a foolish nation. Foolish nation. Um, the punishment fits the crime. 
you reject the Lord, he'll say, okay, I walk away from you. So if you were here last time, all that God provides, and he is a very generous giving God. So uh, the, the, the picture, particularly in verses 13 and 14, he just gives them food and food and food and food and food. But they say, we don't want you. He says, but if you don't want me, you don't get all the food. That's why they'll end up, verse 24, with a wasting famine. He's the source of everything. You walk away from him. You walk away from all that is good. Or you might put it this way. There's the madness of walking away and turning your back on God, who is a good creator. Think of uh, your perhaps affluent friends, super affluent friends, decide to take you on a cruise. And uh, not at the moment, because they're really cheap, because no one wants them and you get ill. Um, but uh, when life is uh, <laughs> in the sort of normal scheme of things, uh, affluent friends take you on a cruise. And it is not just a sort of tin pot, you're on a ship with a thousand and you've got to share one swimming pool. Uh, this is really top end. So um, uh, this is the cruise I want to go on. Uh, if you've got lots of money and want to take me on holiday, that'd be odd. But anyway, um, the Star Clipper, the Star, that's a cruise ship, okay? And um, I've never been on it, obviously, but uh, every morning, and you never have all the sails out, that's just to make it look pretty if you're a proper sailor. Uh, I suppose anyone sails 18th century ships here, do they? Um, but uh, every morning, as the crew, they go to the top of the mast and they tumble down like acrobats and release the sails, and it's just gently sort of, and the food is sort of absolutely luxurious, and all the facilities are extraordinary, and there are only about 80 guests on the whole ship, and about 200 staff to look after you. I mean, that's, you know really good. Um, and I spend the occasional moment thinking about going, uh, but I don't have anyone affluent enough to take me. If that's you, feel free. But you were on this ship then, and someone has just paid for everything. And you're like, this is fantastic. <laughs> but then after a few days in, you go, yeah, but I don't like the fact that you've paid for this. Um, Actually, I'm just going to blow up my lilo that I bought just in case. <laughs> and you blow up your lilo and you chuck it over the side and you say, and you jump on the lilo and you say, I'm out of here. And at first you feel quite smug because it's a nice sunny day and the ship is just there and you think, well, you know, stuff them. But as it turns to night and the ship goes off and you're just on your own in the middle of the ocean, you start to wonder, is this a good idea? And that's you and me. That's humanity. Quite happy to say, how can there be a God in a world full of such suffering? Much slower to say, there's got to be a God because there's so many good things in this world. There are so many things to be thankful for and grateful for. There must be a God. We don't work that way around. How can there be a God when there's a coronavirus? Oh, but, but there's a vaccine. That must be humanity's genius that's done that. We just, indif you know, we criticize, but we don't give thanks, or personally, quite slow to when, I don't know, exams go well, job goes well, finances are fine, and a bit slow to say, Lord, it's all of your hand. Perhaps a little quick to say, look at me, look at me. But deserting the God and the creator who made you, it's madness. He's the source of all that you have that is good. 
And you might be fine for a while as you drift away. I've got plenty of food in my tummy. But as the hours tick by and the days tick by, you'll start to think this is madness to walk away. So I don't know what you thought when you read, uh, when well, um, Kit read for us kindly verses 23 and 24. It sounds a bit, I don't know, vindictive, does it? Verse 23, the Lord says, I'll heap calamities on them. I'll expend my arrows against them, arrows of wasting famine and arrows of pestilence and deadly plague and fangs of wild beasts. But really, in the it's a picture of the time. Uh, that's They were in the wilderness. God looked after them, protected them, gave them everything. He says, you reject me, I walk away. And now you're back in wilderness and you have nothing. And there's no one to protect you. You reject me? Okay. I let you go. I reject you. Now that is the story of Israel's history in the Old Testament. But as we said last time, so many of these verses in Deuteronomy 32, they're, they're picked up in the New Testament. And they're a description of the whole of humanity. And so it's still the case, and the New Testament puts it very clearly, if you reject God, he hands us over to our folly. He says, reject me, walk away, I leave you. Which in one sense is one of the dominant pictures of hell. In the New Testament, God says, I cut you off. I walk away. And again, like being on that lilo in the sea. It's all right. I mean, here and now we can say, well, I say there's no God and it's fine. Yeah, you're, you're still experiencing his goodness. But a couple of days on the lilo in the sea, when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, it gets dark and the waves get up and you're scared and you're alone. And God says, you reject me and I'll desert you for eternity. He rejects his people who desert. And he does that still today, eternally. More briefly, uh, verses 26 to 35 are a bit different. So uh, that happened in Israel's history. They were invaded and therefore, you know, suffered greatly when they rejected the Lord. But what about those who come in, this no nation? Doesn't even get a name. They're so unimportant, really. But what happens when they take over and they become proud? Well, he rejects them too. So verse 26, God is speaking at this point. He said, I'll scatter them and erase uh, them, that is Israel, from human memory. But, hold on, but I dreaded the taunt of the enemy, lest the adversary misunderstand and say, our hand has triumphed. The Lord has not done this. All that's happened here, we have achieved. There is no God. We have achieved it. Pride. The same pride that led Israel to say, we don't need God, leads this other nation to say, this is nothing to do with God. Verse 28, they're a nation without sense. There's no discernment in them. If only they were wise, they'd understand this. What they should say, they should say, verse 30, how could one man chase a thousand or put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them? How have we beaten Israel? Because they had God on their side. Uh, they should say, well, this is all God's doing. But what they do say is, 
our hand has achieved this, is what they say. And so they meet the same fate as Israel, this pagan nation. Verse 34, have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? It's mine to avenge, I'll repay in due time, their foot will slip. Well, it may take a long time. People may say for a long time, the whole of their lives, my arm has achieved everything I've got here and there is no God. But eventually, he'll get due recognition. But if you saw earlier in this year, um, Jocelyn Bell Burnell, um, I think you have to be a physicist to really love her. But anyway, uh, in 1967, she discovered pulsar stars. Anyone know what they are? Yeah, yeah, the physicists are going, oh, 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 oh. Um, because apparently they're one of the most significant scientific discoveries of the 20th century. And if you read English at university, that probably passed you by like it passed me by. Um, but they're very, very, very significant in scientific terms. Anyway, in 1967, Jocelyn Belbonnell discovered them. Extraordinary. And because she discovered them, her supervisor got the Nobel Prize and another man in her lab got the Nobel Prize and she got nothing because it was 1967. Um, and that's just sort of what happened in those days. Uh, 50 years later, she's finally received the recognition that she's, she's due. So she is now Dame Jocelyn Bell Bennell. She was given a physics prize of $3 million last year. Uh, that's more than any of you got as students, wasn't it? Um, and... Um, just around the corner, the Royal Society now has uh, taken down one of the old buffers and put her portrait uh, as the sort of premium one right on top of the stairs uh, as you enter the Royal Society. So belatedly, she's got the recognition due, while others are taking the credit for her work in a far more significant way. The Lord is saying, verses 34 and 35, people may say, my arm has achieved this, and there is no God, and I'm not giving thanks to him. But there will come a point where he says, no, recognition is due to me. And if you reject me, I reject you. And if you proudly claim you've achieved all things, I'm afraid it's the same fate. So look, he rejects his people, Israel, who, re who reject him or desert him. He rejects no people who are proud. But third and last, he atones for his people who are humbled. Big turning point really comes at verse 36. The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. Relent, show compassion, you choose how you translate that. He'll relent or show compassion. When? Well, he does this when he sees, verse 36, when he sees their strength is gone and no one's left, slave or free. He does it when people reach the end of their limits and they say, we've got no hope of God. I've got no strength but God. I've got nowhere to turn but God. Then he says, Are oh, you in your right mind now? Sanity has been restored to you. Or to put it in other terms, when people realize verse 39, they see the truth of verse 39, God says, I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death, I bring to life, I've wounded. I will heal. No one can deliver out of my hand. There's no one to compare with me. But when people come to their right minds and say, yeah, that's God, isn't it? And I, I need to acknowledge him. 
then he has compassion. Again, we may have felt, I mean, instinctively, when this was read, verses 40 to 41, they seem a little brutal. God says, I lift my hand to heaven and solemnly swear, as surely as I'll live forever. When I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I'll take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. And you think, golly. But in times, we know this, history shows us, in times, if you want to defeat wickedness, you do have to pick up a sword and fight. If you want to break a Nazi regime, you pick up a sword and fight. Or in literature, it's always the same, isn't it? When good King Richard returns to England and vindicates Robin Hood and takes vengeance upon bad King John, who's been brutalizing the people, we cheer and go, huzzah! Um, that's what we're meant to do. Uh, when good King Lord of the Rings Theoden comes back to life from his funny old sleep and um, vindicates his niece and nephew and takes vengeance upon Grima Wormtongue, we go, huzzah! It's good. We like it. And when Jesus returns and vindicates those who are his and takes vengeance upon those who have brutalized them, we say, yes. Or in verse 43, we say, Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies, and he will make atonement for his land and people. When Jesus returns to this earth, all the nations will cheer as things are put right. Now, let's take a step back. Deuteronomy 32, a, a moment in Israel's history sort of predicting their future. Uh, and yet, you turn to the pages of the New Testament and they, they drip pretty heavily with Deuteronomy 32. And the Bible would say, yeah, these events apply to us. Or when do they apply to us? Well, let me give you just three examples. And maybe they come up. So verse 21, he rejects his people Israel who desert him. Well, Paul was saying in Romans 10, 19, yeah, that's happening now, right now as people from every different ethnicity and nation become Christians, uh, Israelites look on and say, well, we were meant to be God's people, and they're jealous. They, some will become Christians amongst them too. Yeah, that's happening now. Or verse 35, the Lord rejects no people because they're proud. Well, in Romans 12, Paul says that's the future. You can trust God for the future, that justice will come when Jesus returns. And verse 43, God atones for his people who are humbled. Well, Romans 15 says, that's Jesus. Jesus has brought that atonement, that making amends, that sense of reparation. He's done that. And now is the time to humble yourself and say thank you. That's now in history. So this song is always about Jesus. When we say, my hand, my hand has triumphed. I, I don't need God. There is no God, perhaps, but certainly I, I don't need God. 
Actually, I'm taking credit for what's gone well in my life myself. Thank you very much. It is ingratitude. And it's an ingratitude that steals status due to the Lord, like Jocelyn Bell Benel knew. It's an ingratitude that wrecks creation because we say our planet and we'll do with it as we jolly well like. Thank you very much. It's an ingratitude that's selfish. My hand has triumphed. I have accumulated. I will keep. I want to share it with you, even if I've got multiple billions. It's still mine. I'm just going to fly to the moon or Mars. Uh, that's what I'm going to do with my billions. It's an ingratitude that rejects God and causes him to desert us. And it's for that ingratitude that Jesus comes upon the cross, makes atonement, makes amends, makes reparations. He pays. So the Christian reads Deuteronomy 32 and says, Oh, Jesus, thank you that you took this so I don't. Verse, I don't know, 39. Jesus was put to death so you and I could have life. Jesus was wounded so you and I could be healed. Jesus was slain so that we could be restored. Jesus was treated as an enemy of God so that we could enter back into the family. We say thank you. But in the end, that's what we do with this song. It's a song that tells us, be grateful. So you get to end of so Deuteronomy 32, what do I do? Sing it. Sing verses three and four in particular. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. Don't sing, my arm has achieved this. Look what I've done. Do say, God has given me everything. Sing that and say, thank you. Thank you for Jesus making atonement so I could sing this as one of your family. That's what we sing. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you that even in the face of our faithlessness, you are faithful. You're faithful to yourself. You're, you're faithful to warnings in the scriptures. You're, you're faithful and allowing us to you desert us if we desert you. But at a deeper level, you're faithful. And so in Jesus Christ, offer a way back into your family. Father, would we understand, would we see ourselves rightly? Even now, would we sing of two wonders? The wonders of your glorious love, and yet our unfaithfulness, how stupid we can be. We thank you that that is covered in the Lord Jesus. Amen.